Well, you can go ahead and grab a seat. Uh, let me add my welcome this morning if we've never met. My name's Alistair. I'm the lead pastor here at St. Pete's, and I would love to meet you after the service. And if you are new with us this morning, I just want to let you know that our sermon this morning is a little different than usual. Uh, since it is our six-year anniversary, uh, I'm going to just take us on a tour of where we've seen God at work and how we think God is at work in the present. Uh, usually we work our way through a text in detail, and this morning I will touch on that crazy passage we had Shannon read, but that was just mostly to prank Shannon, uh, but not really. Uh, but well done. I mean, let's give Shannon a round. That was, that was impressive. When I first became a follower of Jesus, I didn't know my left from my right. I was the first Christian in my family. And I was the first Christian in my extended family. And I did a bit of digging. And the last Christian in my family I could find was in the 17th century. If you're an English lit major, you maybe have heard of him, Lawrence Stern. Turns out he wrote the first crude humor book novel of English history, which is, <laughs> makes sense if you know me. And so first Christian in my family. And I was pursuing a career in music right out of high school into my early 20s. And when that dream fell apart, I cried out to God for the first time in my life. And late one night, I found myself around 2 a.m. in a forest near the Pacific Ocean, and it was pitch black, and I was walking out there trying to find God. And I stood in the darkness, and I couldn't even see my hand in front of my face. And for the first time, I heard God whisper. And now I didn't hear anything audible. I thought a thought that I knew was not a thought I would naturally think. And what I heard was this. Even if the darkness overcomes you, I am with you. Now, I didn't know who was with me. I knew God was with me. And a week later, my vocal instructor, April, who had watched my life unraveling a bit, pulled me aside and she said, look, I've never really talked to you about my faith but my church is going through this book and they've asked us to give it to someone. And so I thought it would be a good time for you to read this book. And so she gave me The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. And I was led to Christ by someone who wears a Hawaiian t-shirt to keep me humble. And so in that book, though, I discovered that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Even if the darkness overcomes you, Emmanuel is with you. Everything started to click, and so I moved to Vancouver in 2004, and I started a degree in graphic design, and I was surrounded by new friends and peers in my program, but when it came to faith, I was going about it all by myself, and there wasn't much of a cause and effect change in those early days. I was still pretty rough around the edges, and yet faith came with me into the noise of my life. A few months later, I actually stumbled my way into a freshly minted church plant. I was patient zero. It was the church planter, his wife, and his co-planter, and Alistair Stern. And we met on a Tuesday night, and they're like, what would you like church to be? And I said, this is the wrong question to the wrong person. I have no idea. But over the years, that became my church. And I learned very early on in my faith that the church is not a building. For me, it was a small and peculiar group of people who met in a modest home in East Vancouver. There was Leighton. He had weak ankles and yet insisted on playing soccer every weekend and was always rambling on about some guy named Bonhoeffer. There was Anna. And I never forgot this. She told me, Alistair, I want to have a faith that includes how I have to wash the dishes. And I decided I wanted that too. 
There was Mike, and he had this thick Scottish accent. And every week, it seemed like he came with this story about how he shared faith with someone at Value Village. And I thought that was a little much, and yet I also respected his passion. There was Derek, who, who always brought a new folk song he had written. It was never about Jesus. It was usually about hobos. But we loved him, and we supported him. And there was Kyle, who planted the church. And Kyle, every week, always asked this question, what would life look like if we actually did what Jesus says here? I didn't know a lot about the scriptures. I didn't know a lot about faith, but I knew I wanted my life to look like these people. But if I'm honest, my first impressions of this group were, I don't think I would ever hang out with any of these people outside of Tuesday night. Lucy's nodding her head, who's just joined St. Peter's. You know, <laughs> and it was partly true. It was partly true, but in this church, I discovered a gift greater than friendship built around shared hobbies or interests. These were the people who first modeled the ways of Jesus for me. They're the people who made the life of faith seem appealing and even plausible for someone like me. And they were so patient with my many failings and, and quirks. They're the ones who walked with me as I stumbled towards grace. They're the ones who helped pick up the pieces in my life when a long-term relationship shattered during that season. And I fell in love with this peculiar group of people. We ate together, and we spent time together, and we learned together, and we prayed together, and we grieved together, and we loved together. See, next to the gift of salvation, I am convinced that God's greatest gift and grace to us is his body his bride, his church. This morning, our peculiar reading was the end of Romans chapter 16. And I chose this passage for our anniversary because I've come to love how people are greeted by name in the New Testament, especially at the end of Romans. We have Phoebe and Prisca and Aquila and Eponidas and Mary and Adronicus and Junia and Epilatus and Urbanus and Statues and Apelles and Aristobulus, and Herodian, and Narcissus, and Trephenia, and Trephosus, and Persis, and Rufus, and his mom, because even Paul forgets names sometimes, uh, Ascritus, and Phlegon, and Hermes, and Petrobus, and Hermas, and Philogi, and Julia, and Nereus, and his sister, another person whose name he forgot, and Olympias. And when we're reading scriptures, it's easy to rush through these parts. This is like the equivalent of the New Testament genealogy, right? And as you've heard, many of these names are hard to pronounce. Paul greets 29 people at the end of this letter. 29 names memorialized in scripture simply because they were the face of the church in Rome for Paul. You see, the church is a gift always composed of names and faces like Leighton and Anna and Mike and Derek and Kyle. And I trust if you look around this room, there's a few critical names and faces who make this church what it is to you. Now, who are some of those people? Take a moment and think about them. Who are the people God has brought into your life that you would have never in a million years dreamed of meeting except that you have a shared faith in Christ? I was part of that East Vancouver church plant for two years between 2004 and 2006. And during that time, I finished my degree in graphic design. I started working at a top-tier agency, uh, and I had this thought that kept chasing me. Despite all things going well, I couldn't stop thinking, 
I think I want to be a pastor. I think I want to plant a church. And it made no sense. I had barely read two books of the Bible. I had barely read two books about Christianity. But all I knew was that I loved Jesus and I loved his church, his people, and I wanted to pay it forward. But I took that thought and I put it on the crazy shelf because I figured that's where it belongs. So eventually I left Vancouver. Work took me to Orlando in the summer of 2006. And then I encountered God again in a really unique way on March 11th, 2007. And I share this story reluctantly because it's a little unusual, but I trust most of you know at this point I'm a little unusual. But I'm also uh, reluctant to share it because I don't want you to think that if you haven't had some profound, dramatic spiritual experience, that something is wrong with your faith. This was a one-off occurrence in my life that I haven't experienced since, and frankly, would be content not to experience this again. But here's, here's what happened. I was alone in my studio apartment in Orlando. Uh, it was the middle of the morning. I was wide awake. And suddenly, I felt like I was being electrocuted from head to toe. And then I heard an audible voice repeat again and again, God is alive, God is alive, God is alive, God is alive. And I was terrified. And I said, Lord, please stop. And then a silence came over the room like I've never experienced before in my life. Now, I thought, okay, I've just had an auditory seizure. I should go to the doctor. Went to the doctor. Everything was fine. I talked to Julia, told her about this experience. We had just started dating. Fortunately, she kept dating me. And, uh, and she said, it sounds like you encountered God. You should see what Scripture has to say. And so I looked up encounters of God in Scripture. And the only thing that comforted me that was that the average person, when they encounter God, freak out. And I was freaking out, so it seemed like it could be authentic. Now... I share all of that because it might help you understand where our vision comes from. Jesus is alive. And he is renewing everything. Our city, its people, even us. And we get to be part of it. Now, I knew Jesus was alive before this experience. I believed it. My, my belief didn't change in that situation. But what happened in that little studio apartment solidified something for me. I needed to devote my life to proclaiming this good news. And so I took the pastor and church planter idea off of the crazy shelf and began taking steps toward it. And after a lot of training and school and assessment, in 2011, Julia and I started fundraising for this church plant. And people from all over the world, including Canada and the United States, Brazil and the United Kingdom, Sweden and Israel and South Africa and China and Australia and New Zealand. A few hundred people over the past eight years have given to make this church plant possible. Most of them have never been to Vancouver or have ever stepped inside of a service at St. Peter's Fireside. Many of them gave before anything existed at all. They gave simply to the idea that Julia and I had on our hearts. But all of them gave in faith, believing that God could and would do something in this place. And so they've been praying with us for years. More names and faces, a part of God's church and a part of this story. In 2012, Julia and I moved back to Vancouver for me. First time living here for her. And long story short, we came downtown to plant a church because there are people who need to discover or rediscover the goodness of God. There are people who need to discover or rediscover the good news that Jesus is alive. And there are people that need to discover or rediscover 
the goodness of belonging to the messy beauty that is the church. In September of 2012, we started our first launch team gathering, 12 people in our living room. Here are their names. Kyla, Cody, Sophie, Christian, Esther, Dylan, Dujen, Bob, Alita, and Kevin. And we've sent almost all of those people off onto their next steps with God. I think only Bob, only Bob <laughs> remains. And yet their names and their faces are a part of our story. A little over a year later, on November 2013, we launched our Sunday services. And by God's grace, we're still here. And that's good news. And we're still enamored with the same truth. Jesus is alive and he's renewing everything, our city, its people, even us, and we get to be part of it. Last year, we celebrated our five-year anniversary and we made an anniversary video because five feels like a big number and six is like that awkward number, right? Like our next big one's gonna be 10. But at the end of that video, I said this, whatever God will do through us in the years to come, I can't wait to meet who God will introduce to us next. The faces, the names, the stories of the people who will make this place home. And one year ago, I would have never guessed that we, a year later, would be adopting another church in East Vancouver and preparing to start an evening service in East Vancouver. And when these conversations with Emmanuel Church began this past April, part of me wanted to take that idea and put it up on the crazy shelf too. But that's not where it belongs. God's made that clear. In fact, the adoption papers are practically signed at this point. Tonight, Emmanuel is going to host their last service as Emmanuel. They're calling it a closing chapter and new chapter service. They're going to celebrate all that God has done and, and anticipate what God is going to do. And it's going to be a service of tears and joy, of, of grief and, and hope. But they'll no longer be Emmanuel. They'll be a part of St. Peter's fireside. But one thing hasn't changed. Jesus is our Emmanuel. God is with us. He's alive, and this is the only truth uniting around. This is the only truth that unites us with our brothers and sisters at Emmanuel. Yes, they're taking on our name and vision and values, but that is not enough to unite us. We are united because of the gospel. And so this adoption means that we're welcoming more people into our family. There are new names and faces who will call this place home, but in a different part of the city, and you may or may not meet them over the years to come. But I think it's important you hear their names. Barry, Donna, Thomas, Charles, Chris, Debbie, Brandon, Emma, Jackie, Kyla, Natasha, Lloyd, Miriam, Joyce, Nigel, John, Jan, Rose, Tim, Micah, Laura, Sergio, Jennifer, Robin, Shayla, Tetsuya, Sally, Rachel, Zach, Stephanie, and children too, Alexis, Madeline, Jordan, Josiah, Eva Hope, Regan, Megan, Reuben, Isaiah, and Lazarus, and Sophie. These are all the people of Emmanuel who've boldly said yes to partnering with us for the sake of the gospel in East Vancouver. And over the next two and a half months, we're going to be gathering weekly as a family to develop this launch team, before we publicly launch services in February 2020. 
And in the meantime, we're going to be sending 20 people from our morning services to become part of this launch team. And I think it's important you hear these names too. Andrew and Casey, Roberta and Lyndon, Richard and Sam, Heidi and Derek, Bernice, Barbara and Marcus, Raj and Gogo and Nate and Karen and Kelsey and Lester and Sarah and another Kate and James and some kids too, Talia and Jack and Bowen and Ian and Fiona and Hazel and, and Ezra. These are the people from our community who've boldly said yes to this next step in the life of our church. You'll see some of them are going to stick around in the morning, but many are going to commit solely to the evening. In total, we have roughly 50 adults and 18 children who have said, yes, I want to be a part of this launch team. Just to give you a point of reference, when we started Sunday services here, we had roughly 40 adults and two children, one of which Julia made. But the only reason we're doing any of this is because Jesus is alive. He's renewing everything, even our city, its people, and us. And we get to be part of it. And over the past six months, our leadership team and our communities have prayerfully discerned that this is something God is inviting us to be part of. And it's a little exciting and it's a little bit daunting. People have now started to ask me, like, Alistair, how are you feeling about it now that the adoption is taking place? I said, it's a lot like taking a roller coaster. You get in line and you get really jazzed about what's to come. And then you get strapped in and you can't get off. And then you have the ascent of regret. And if you like roller coasters, you know like that initial fear of like, what have I strapped myself into is just part of the fun. And you know that joy is around the bend. It's daunting and yet it's also exciting. And I want you to know that we acknowledge as a team and as a church, that we all react to change differently. For some of you, you hear this change coming up in the life of our community, and you feel excited and invigorated, and you think, this is great. I can't wait to figure out how I can be a part. For some of you, it's a little scary and unnerving, and it feels like the ground is unsteady beneath your feet. And whatever you're feeling towards this change, I want you to know that it's okay. Name whatever you're feeling. And bring it fully with you in this process. Because one thing will not change. We are here for you. And we are committed to walk in the ways of Jesus. And we're here to create a gracious space for people to take their next step toward Jesus, whatever that may look like for them. St. Pete's, I'm really excited because I believe God is at work in our midst. And I can't predict what our story is going to look like one year from now, but I suspect that our morning and evening services will slowly and steadily welcome more and more people. And as always, we'll also send people on their next step towards Jesus in the story God's writing for them. But one year from now, I suspect there will be new names and faces and stories. And I imagine more people will discover or rediscover the goodness of God. I believe more people will be formed into the likeness of Christ. And I know along the way we're going to encounter the presence of God, not just for our sake, but for the sake of others, for the sake of other people who have a name and a story that matters, people you know who may not yet know the goodness of God, but might one year from now. How exciting is that? No matter what happens, no matter where we go together, we have plenty to celebrate. The fact that we're even still here is worthy of celebration of God's faithfulness. And so as we take this step together as a church, 
I want to ask a few things of you. I want to ask you to commit to showing up because we need you to be all in. And I ask that you expect God to show up too because he's already here. He's already at work. I ask that you engage in what we're doing. And by that, I mean, I ask that you would pray without ceasing, that you would set that 12-12 alarm and every day for a minute or two, pray for this merger, pray for the renewal of our city through the renewal of people. I ask that you'd give generously. I ask that you would serve faithfully. Because frankly, we can't do this without all of us rolling up our sleeves. And most of all, I ask that you would invite others to meet God here. Because we didn't plant this church for it to be a nice social club. We planted this church for the sake of others. For the sake of people who are yet to know the goodness of God. And whether you remember anything I just said or not, I ask that you would continue pressing on into faith, hope, and love. Because without these things, this entire initiative is in vain. You know, as I've thought about what God has done over the past six years of services, the past eight years of church planting for Julia, And I, all I can say is this, thank you. Thank you for bringing the church into this building. And as I think about everything that's about to happen in the life of our community, it kind of feels like coming full circle. My faith journey began in a church plant in East Vancouver, and now we are adding a service in East Vancouver. But if we're honest, it feels a lot like planting another church in East Vancouver. And we're creating another place and another space where we can say to people, thank you for bringing the church into this building. And as I said last year, whatever God will do through us in the years to come, I can't wait to meet who God will introduce to us next, the faces, the names, the stories of the people who will call this place home. You know, Romans 16 has a lot of names. And there's a lot of names in our own history. I've tried to highlight just a few There's a lot of names in our present. But Paul doesn't end his letter with a list of names or a list of greetings, but with a benediction and a doxology because the focus can never just be on ourselves, but on God. And this is what Paul writes. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, even Vancouver, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Nothing works without Jesus. And this would be all in vain without him. So to him, let's pray.